Hello, welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. We are back with another podcast on elders. This time we will be interviewing Thomas uh, to talk to him and get kind of his background, have him share a little bit of his upbringing and testimony and his parenting later in life. Welcome, Anthony. All right, welcome back. If you have questions or comments about uh, the way we uh, raise up elders, we have another podcast that kind of give a brief overview. There are sermons on our website talking about it, uh, and you can always email, call, or ask questions about that process. Uh, happy to talk about any bit of it. Happy to answer all of your questions. Happy to spend as much time explaining the process to you. Uh, happy for you to disagree. That's okay. Um we have found this to be a wise way. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not, by the way, we didn't create this out on our own vacuum. So um, a lot of people uh, actually read about what an elder is, but I don't know that a lot of people actually have studied that process either. And so there's actually a lot on it and it's not just an easy process mm-hmm. and there's a lot that goes into it. So Thomas, yep. you've been before the church for, Six weeks now, as an elder, uh, as an elder to be potentially, candidate, so candidate. That's the word. candidate, yes, yeah, yeah, elder candidate. So yeah. uh, up for election, um, <laughs> expecting a good campaign party here soon um, <laughs> with gifts and golf and uh, good bourbon. So uh, yeah. So anyway, all that that was all a joke, except for the bur- good bourbon part. Um, so anyway, uh, here we are, and. Um, Thomas, welcome. Back. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. All right. So, Thomas, take it away. So, tell us a little bit about your uh, give us give us your kind of overview of your life, like where you're from, uh, what did you do. Uh, take us through culinary, post culinary, and lead us up to maybe kind of where you lead us up to the cornerstones door. Ooh, story time! I like this. Yep. Yeah, the, the, the listeners are going to click out on this one. Um, so I grew up in New York, right outside the Bronx, uh, you know, Italian Catholic family, which meant you showed up on Christmas Eve for the midnight mass. Um, you know, the Friday night, seven fishes dinner was a a big deal in our house. And then you show up at at Easter, but went through, uh, communion, confirmation, um, you know, and just kind of it fades out, right? Like you hear so much. Um, so I, I, I knew about the church. You know, as a kid, it was CCD. Uh, my mom taught that, actually. At that age, he didn't take it seriously. You know, it's this the whole cliche about the, the nuns and getting whacked and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I... 
there was there was a seed planted there for sure. Uh, I look back growing up, and I always said like there was always that thing there, always that almost conscience coming up. So graduate high school and uh, come out to Vegas to go to UNLV. I was interested in hotel school, and Cornell was number one at the time, and I didn't have the grades for that. And somebody talked about UNLV and Michigan State being like the two neck-and-neck hotel colleges. And, of course, being Italian from New York, everybody in my family had been to Vegas except for us. Like my, my cousins, my, my dad's sister, their family would go out, you know, once a year to Vegas and you'd hear all the stories and, and you know, you heard a lot about it. So it was like, well, I'll go out to Vegas. How, how could it be? I heard enough of, enough of it and, and at that time had heard of the, uh, the basketball team. What could go wrong? And if I go out for a semester, I don't like it. I could always come home because everybody went to school around home. I think the furthest person went to Philly. Um, but everybody was in driving distance. Everybody thought I was nuts. So I came out here and went to UNLV, uh, graduated here, and I went into a three-year culinary apprenticeship at Caesar's Palace. So the program was going to be three years. You have to do three years, and you have to do 6,000 hours over those three years, and you went to class for the educational part and all that. And I really, you know, it was funny because when I was little, um, you know, my dad would say, you know, got to mow the grass this weekend. I'd be like, oh, you know, and that would aggravate my dad. It was like, okay, you pay no rent. We feed you. You're like, you'd hear that whole story. And, and it's funny because it comes to my mind with the kids today um, that, that we have living with us. In, in the winter, our next door neighbors were an elderly couple. And we'd have to, when we shoveled our driveway and walk, we had to do theirs. The only difference is that they went to Florida for the winter. They didn't even live there. So we would say, Dad, why, why do we have to shovel their driveway? They're not home. They don't come back till after Easter, right? There's no more snow then. We had to go shovel their driveway. I, we still haven't gotten my brother and I. We asked him, why did you make us do that, you know? But it became a thing where kids in the neighborhood used to fight. So that these other kids used to come down that lived up the street and would come down and start shoveling and be like, hey, what are you doing? We're like, that's our job. Like, we'd ask them. Everybody would end up shoveling their house. Um... But I had a work ethic, and I wasn't the smartest guy, you know, the most talented. Like, like you see these big chefs out there in these big restaurants. Like, those guys were born with a palate that is off the charts. Like, they're just different, right? Uh, but I knew I could work, and, and hard work was valued there. So I put myself to work, and I think I did the 6,000 hours. I, I believe it was 14 months. You know, that was supposed to take 36 months. And I would get up early. I would go to the butcher shop. That was a 6 to 2 shift. But I would be there at 5.30. We used to salt the tables. It was a cold room, so you wore thermals. And salt the tables and all that. Well, I would go in early. I'd get the coffee maker going. I'd sweep off the tables. All the There was four butchers, and one came in and worked late while the restaurants were open at night. And I watched how they set their knives out, and I set their knives out for them. I remember the first day I was all proud of myself when they all walked in, and not one of them said a thing, like I hadn't done anything. And I kept doing it, and after about six weeks, the head butcher, his name was John, he was a Frenchman, he says, hey, he says, come on over. And I go around, I'm like, yeah, John? 
And he's like, I'm going to show you this. Right. And then he really started to teach me the secrets of butchering. Cause he said like, this guy like gets it, you know, that kind of deal. Like I, I earn my stripes. And then after that, I, I go eat lunch. Um, well, I'd eat lunch during my shift and then I eat a second lunch and then I go work in the French restaurant uh, on the weekends till two o'clock in the morning. And then I go home and I catch two and a half hours of sleep. I get up, shave and head back to work and be back in the butcher shop again. And, and it was nuts, but I was young and you can do things like that back then. Um, and then eventually, you know, worked around, got to cook in Europe and, and had fun and, uh, eventually ended up in sales. And, um, really because it, everything that everybody warned me about the hours, you know, the workload, the working on weekends, the working on nights, the working on holidays, guess what? It was true, right? I was just stubborn and didn't want to, I wanted to prove them wrong. I got into sales and when I worked locally here, uh, there's a man there by, by Joe. I was with his son, uh, yesterday and he was a Christian and we had an interview. They hired me and I told him, I said, you know, I'm going through this thing. And, and he made it known right away that he was a Christian. And I said, Kelly and I went back to the Catholic church here. It's the one on Sahara. I don't know about midway down, coming down from the West. It was a newer one. I don't remember the name of it. And I kind of fell off and then Kelly did. And, you know, I said to him, I said, we're, you know, we're, we're looking for a church. And he was like, you don't need church. You need Jesus. And, you know, I remember my, my mom's sisters in, in Florida and, and they were all Christians. And, but that born again thing, like in my family, like that was like, Ooh, they're weird. You know, like the born again, like, like nobody understood like what it meant. It was just like, that was weird. And we were Catholics. And we started talking about that. And, and eventually we went to, um, the church that, that he goes to and then started going down the road and started to understand that I needed Christ, um, that, that I needed to submit for him, submit to him. I understood that, but the missing piece was repentance. It was more of that, I don't want to put words in, but you know, that Jesus loves you. Okay, great. And, um, it was a while after that, that, and it was a Ray Comfort video. And, you know, started reading a lot more. Uh, we were in that church for a while, but I, I started, I went nationally in my job, and, and I commuted to work on a plane. Each week I go to a different city and work. And then probably about nine weeks out of the year, I, I was in Vegas. Other than that, I was off somewhere working. Um, you know, and I always had the excuses. Oh, it was a rough week. I don't want to go to church this Sunday. You know, so let's just skip it. And, and let's spend some time together, Kelly. Uh, thing, things like that. So I, I hear this video and I, it was like it hit me. And I was like, you know, I didn't understand the, the law part of it. I didn't understand my sin. So I was still sinning, still felt bad about it you know, would, would still kind of confess it, but I didn't understand the big picture. And it was like, you know, you would sin, you would feel bad, you would repent, and then once kind of the guilt and the conscience went down, you know, we'd kind of be back in it. I was a never, like, we never really kept alcohol in the house. 
you know, like, hey, the beer's getting low, buy some more. We just weren't. But then traveling and entertaining, and I'd be sitting on the plane coming home and being like, well, Tuesday I had four drinks. Wednesday I had, I'm like, well, for a guy that doesn't keep alcohol in the house, I sure have been drinking a lot more than I have. And I start to notice these things, right, these patterns. So anyways, I got the law part, and I was like, holy cow, repent. Like, okay, and then like the whole picture came together for me of why I really needed Jesus. Right, uh, uh, really what the cross meant, and it sounds crazy now. Maybe they were teaching this and I was blocking it out. Maybe it wasn't being taught. Because it was a lot of, I remember the first service that we went to, they had furniture on the stage and they kind of, some people got up and they did like a, a scenario of like kid not listening to mom and the frustration with kids and all this. And then there was like a lesson about it kind of deal. I remember the first time we got out and we were very, much used to that Catholic mass. And we said, like, it doesn't even feel like we went to church today, you know? So it was kind of awkward in the beginning. But once I got that second piece, I really understood, and, like, my eyes opened up. And, um, you know, I, I, I was going with that, and then I was getting this conviction about work. Like I said, like, the drinking part. Like, was I an alcoholic? Absolutely not. Mm. You know, were there people that would go on the road and, you know, turn it up all night long because they were away from their families and, and, you know, could act like they were in a college fraternity again? Absolutely. But there were just some other things too. And, and I was like, like, I'm like, I, I can't live this way anymore. Hmm. Also, there was this thing of, of, I say it was like a faucet and the Lord turned it off. Everything that I was known for in the business, like if they said like, oh, that Thomas guy with, with Bauscher or Thomas with Narumi, the Japanese company that I worked for. You know, he's known for this and this and this. And all the passion and excitement I had for that was like a faucet, like a tap, and the water was turned off, and it was gone. So I, I had a giant whiteboard in my office at home. It was eight by four, eight feet by four feet. And on one side of it, I started writing down just ministry ideas and, and you know, just ideas and, and things and so I, I started talking to Kelly and being like, I'm just feeling like like I'm being pulled out of the business world and I don't know what to what, but like I want to figure this out. And I, I thought I was going to go rent a space somewhere and put up a Jesus Save sign or something and well, so open the doors. And Can I, can I ask a question? So, so yeah. you're, what happened there? So you... you was that like your... That, was that, would you say you got saved at that moment or like at that, that period and, and God <clears throat> changed your desires or what you were I struggle with that oh, okay did I to, to use the verbiage that was used then you know give my life to Christ yeah a, a, absolutely yeah I guess my question was like how did you go from like like um, you know you, you had this uh uh, like drawing on a whiteboard <laughs> like what so is it because god turned off that passion for your work and just, yeah that that really okay. came up but i started doing that a little before because i would be on flights you know this is over time oh gotcha and i would pull up that picture you know i get a napkin cocktail napkin or in my notes and write down some other ideas i just felt like i was being called somewhere else and, and i'm sitting there and i'm i'm like this is kind of weird because i like i feel this calling you know and and what's going on but i knew that i wanted to be faithful to it. And Kelly and I started having conversations like, what if I left, you know, 
um, left the business world and, and those kinds of talks. And, um, yeah, so uh, let me get back to that. Cause you know, that, 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 that is kind of a big deal, right? Was I saved at that moment when I knew that, you know, when I saw what my sim was and it all made sense, I'll tell you what, I ended up on my face mm. going, holy cow. Cause there was a part of me that was like, you know, if this plane goes down while I'm traveling home, you know, I'll go to heaven. Yeah. After that realization, I was kind of like, man, if one of those planes went down, I don't know if I was going to go to heaven. Hmm. So, if we had to come down and say, Thomas, what do you think? Yeah, I would say at that moment, that was it. Because, like, just the light turned on. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it was like full go mode into. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. You know, and as I, I, and I've said this out loud so many times, so it's interesting, you know, because the job was an idol, the money was an idol, uh, okay. the luxury car was an idol, the, the tailor made suits were an idol, right? Okay, so it makes sense now because you were going like 150% one way and all of those, you realize all of that was, were all idols. Because I'm, I'm sure, yeah, because I think to the normal mind, like who does that, right? Who just throws away, like, and, and turns around and just like, there's no, there was no smooth transition. <laughs> it was like. No, so, so, you know, I, I had a couple of weeks. It was probably towards the end of the year where I wasn't traveling uh, as much. But one week I'm sitting in an establishment that was right around the corner from Casa de Luz. When I worked locally, I had downtown accounts. The Stratosphere was my account. I used to drive through that neighborhood. You know, it was fun to drive through and nobody drove on the strip, right? If you you worked, you avoided that, and there's back ways to our our building where we worked out of our, our showroom. And I was familiar with it, and and I drove past that place so many times, and I just thought it was a little Hispanic church. So one day I'm sitting there, and I'm I'm working. So when you you work from home, it gets lonely. You miss noise, you know, something background. There's no water cooler time. So a lot of times I go out in public and work. And, and I just feel this kind of prodding to, hey, go over and check that out. And, and not like I heard a voice or anything. I just felt this prodding. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, wow, that's weird. And I said, well, let me just open up Google, and I'll Google it. You know, really didn't learn anything from it. And I just said, ah, I kind of brushed it off, went back to work. And some time went by, and I was in that same place. So maybe like six weeks, seven weeks go by, and I feel that prodding again. And this time I got up and I walked around the corner across from Casa de Luz is a 7-Eleven. And I looked and the gate was closed and I went in 7-Eleven and bought something I didn't need and said to the guy, what is that place over there? And he just, he gave me no information. He just said something like, oh, they're good people. So I thought nothing of it. I went back to work. Well, there's a third time I'm sitting down and I feel like, hey, get on over there. And I was, I remember I got up and I said like, I hear you, Lord. I left my computer and said, guys, watch my stuff. I'll be, I'll be right back. And I walked over, and this time the gate was open. There were cars. There were people all over the place. And uh, I walked inside, and there was a, a guy. It was Robert on the microphone, and he's talking about the gospel and all this. And I kind of walked up to the door to go inside, and Ron pucks his head out. And he says, you need a number? I was like, a number for what? He's like, you here for food? Because they were doing the food pantry. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, and he's like, what do you need? I was like, is there somebody here I could 
talk to? Like maybe someone who runs it? And he goes, hold on, and he disappears. And then this little guy comes kind of bouncing out. He opens up the door, and it was Pat who ran it at the time. I remember, like yesterday, I said, I said, Pat, I said, I don't know why I'm here. I just know I'm supposed to be here. Hmm. And Pat laughs, and he says, come in my office. So I said, you know, been driving past this thing, and just felt like I needed to be here today. You know, what, what do you do here? And he starts to run down a list of things, and my jaw is dropping. And I pulled up my picture on my whiteboard that I would use on the plane, and I showed it to Pat. And I said, Pat, I've been, this is what I've been doing for like almost a year on my whiteboard. And he's like, that's crazy. I had already talked to my wife about leaving, and I was going to leave at the end of the year. And I said, do you mind if I come down here and volunteer? He said, sure. Now, when you work at CASA, you, you get about one of these people come in your door like every other week. You know, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to come down and volunteer, right? And you don't see him. So he probably thought I was nuts. So I called up and I actually resigned and, and they asked me to stay on for the quarter because we had a couple of big things and I finished up with the New York restaurant show. Um, and they wanted to pay me to basically stay on to do that and a couple of other things. So I agreed to that. And April 1st, I was on Casa de Luz's doorstep as a volunteer. Hmm. I left, uh, I was vice president of North America and Kelly was behind it and uh, resigned, and we didn't know what was going to go on. You know, we had to adjust our life a little bit. And uh, it was the smartest thing I I did was just kind of trust that prodding. Hmm. And so that developed into time, right? I ended up uh, running it with Maggie and, and learned a lot there. And I think the biggest thing that I took away from CASA was learning how to love people. Um, and in all different aspects, because we did all kinds of things. We worked with kids there, families, elderly, um, non-English speaking. We did case management. We did all these things there, and it was a fantastic time. I knew at some point, uh, well, what I said was like the one job that I would leave this for is if the church came and asked me for a job. So at that time, when I was volunteering there, there was a gentleman you know, and we would talk and everything, and he said, you know, the, the way that you align, and, and I, I told him, I was like, I, I think that I need to find a more biblical church. Hmm. And he said, well, he said, from what I know about you, you ought to check out uh, Jason Vaughn's church. And I was like, what's the name of it? And he's like, Cornerstone. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. That's where I am now. <laughs> and And that started, that was back at the elementary school. And... You know, we'd show up for a week. I didn't, for some reason, I didn't want to be a church shopper. I don't know if that's right or wrong. But I didn't want to get into a thing where I was just, you know, going to nine different churches and trying to figure it out. And I kind of knew at that point what I wanted. I, I, I couldn't tell you a nine marks type church, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely knew there were some things that, that we needed. You know, obviously biblical uh, preaching was at, was at the center of it, the core of it. So we come and we do a week, and, and you know, after the first one, um, I don't remember if it was, I think it was Acts, finishing up Acts at that time, in the middle of it, something like that. And I was like, wow, that's, you know. But then we go back to our old church for a week. You know, do some more research, 
And so we kind of went back and forth a couple of times and it wasn't going back and forth. It was really just kind of solidifying. You know, I got to talk to you guys. We got to talk to some other people there that have been around for a little bit. And we said, yeah, we need to make this our, our home. Mm. And we did. And, you know, we, we made that change. So there was a couple of big things, right, in life um, with, with leaving the business world and volunteering. And you know, I went out part-time at, at Casa de Luz and full-time, and then Maggie and I end up running it together. Um, and then, of course, the big one is was changing churches. And, you know, you talk about the slow and, and, and process, right, uh, of God raising up. And it's kind of been that way for a long time. Um, you know, where that, that patience, you know, some wisdom, uh, things like that, and, and some of the decisions that I made because they were big life decisions. Hmm. But I trusted the Lord. I trusted that he was going to provide. You know, Kelly, same thing. Um, and here we are today. So, so the one thing that I, I would leave the church for was to go on staff here. You know, when that day came, I remember I sat down with you, Jason, and, you know, I didn't even think about it. You know, it was just a yes because I had made that decision about a year ago. So it was just a yes. You, you hadn't even told me what it paid. You know, but I, I knew that if that was opportunity and to be able to work closer, to be able to see the, you know, the running of the church, if you will. Um, you know, my, my work is the church. My church family's the church, right? Everything was was great. So that, that was a, really wasn't a big decision. It was just a yes. Mm. You know, when, when he asked, it was yes. Because I had made that decision a long time ago. And then here we are today. You know, we, we went in and, I just started kind of doing what I did at Casa. You know, the thing at Casa, everybody says, wow, you know everybody in this neighborhood. Like, there's not a person. They hadn't seen me. They were new in the neighborhood, and they asked their neighbor, mm-hmm. you know, what's, what's with the, the white guy with the beard that's kind of out of place here? Oh, no, 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 that's, that's Thomas. They used to call me Pastor Thomas down there, which mm-hmm. he's a, they didn't know, but yeah. they were like, no, just call me Thomas. I'm not a pastor, you know. Um, but everybody did. And it was about making relationships. It was about serving people, um, you know, helping the elderly. Yeah, because Casa, Casa, Casa de Luz existed for that neighborhood to serve that, to serve that neighborhood. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we had 120 kids in our program. I mean, it, it, it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was good. Um you know, there, there is a little bit of an identity crisis there. You know, is it a parish church? Is it not? There were some things we did that I didn't agree with because I thought the church should absolutely be handling that. You know, and the tough thing with that and working with the people there is, okay, we do Bible studies. You know, we did two different ones. We did one in the neighborhood. We did one on Sunday night. Somebody says, okay, I, I want to follow Christ, mm. right? I'm I'm all in here. Where do you send them? Where do you send them? Where do you send them in a neighborhood where transportation is a, a hurdle sometimes? You know, I don't have a car. I don't have transportation. 
So there was, there was a few things there. But um, overall, uh, a wonderful experience. But that kind of takes us up to today. Yeah. You know, there's a, we always joke that we could write a book about you know, different situations that we ended up at in, in Casa and things like that. And it would be, uh, it would be a very interesting book because it was definitely, uh, you know, that, that neighborhood has some, some dark sides to it. Mm-hmm. You know, the good news is that we're able to make relationships there. I'll never forget Chicago Avenue, the last, yeah. you go out by industrial, the last apartment has been a drug house there, the big drug house for, before I got in the neighborhood and, they put through word through one of their customers that I was cool to do my thing on their street. Hmm. That was fantastic. Now I'm giving the gospel to guys sitting there with guns tucked in their waistband, you yeah. know, tattooed up to their their neck, and and I would just walk back into that alley like I owned it, and they knew I, you know, my, my Casa de Luz shirt I used to say was my bulletproof vest. Hmm. You know, because I knew I was the church guy. So you don't mess with, you know, we have morals here in our gang. You don't mess with the church people, you know. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you what, there are two times we're preaching to them. One time we were doing it was with Robert. Robert was fearless. And we walked up on these guys. There were the four guys outside. One guy had his shirt off, tattoos up to his neck, and he must have been about 230 pounds of muscle. Intimidating. And he goes walking up in between them. There was a shooting a couple of days earlier. He says, man, there was a shooting over there. This is crazy. This has got to stop. He goes, we need to pray. Well, he, first he says, what do you guys know about it? They were the shooters. They're like, oh, yeah, man, it happened over there. And he, that's when he said, you know, we, got, we need to pray. You know, this has got to stop. And I'm like, Robert, we're going to kill us, you know. And he walked up to him. And I thought the big guy, because he was the big guy, was going to be the leader. It was actually this little guy sitting there on the sidewalk. He was sitting on something. And he looks up at Robert. So now Robert's walked up the pathway, turned around. So now he's facing me, and he's got two guys on each side of him. I'm going to say it's a small little walkway into an apartment gate, right? Mm. So these guys are 10 inches on each side of him away. Like, you know, they're, they're on top of him. And the little guy says, you know what? And I was like, oh. And he's like, he's right. Everybody, <laughs> Everybody hold hands. We're going to pray. And so we do. And then Robert's like, you want to pray? He's like, no, man, you pray. And then Robert prays. And we go, hey, we got a barbecue over here on St. Louis. Anybody hungry? We'll buy you lunch. And two guys say, yeah, I'm hungry. Come on. So we walk with them over there. And uh, I I was just like, that was the craziest thing I ever saw. And so Robert's talking to the guys. I got called away doing something else or whatever. And I'm telling you, 10 minutes away, I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around. And it was one of the, the two gang guys were together. One of them goes, uh, Mr. Thomas? He's like, have you, have you seen Mr. Robert? Because we just want to really thank him. You know, it went from this hard thing, really thank him for this. This is really nice what you guys are doing. So Robert ends up walking with them back to, the, back to Chicago Street, you know, talking to him. And he comes back, and he was animated. He just always was. Robert was out there. Um, and he just, he's like, man, you wouldn't believe it. This guy's telling me. He starts crying. 
my grandma took me to church on Wednesdays and Sundays when I was a kid, and I gave my life to the Lord when I was a kid, but now I'm wrapped up in the drugs and the girls and the money and all this, and I know I'm living wrong, and I know I got to get on the right track, and Robert's like reaching to him. And, and that happened a couple of times. Mm-hmm. You could get those guys. One time David was with me, our missionary. He would come down, and we would go out in the neighborhood together. And there was this guy who was by, and I said, you know, you're all right going down here because, you know, It'll be fine, but it's going to be a little squirrely. And he's like, no, let's go. So we went down. There was a guy, and he had face tattoos and everything. And he was talking about, you know, he had a kid, and he's got to take care of him. Nobody will hire me because I have tattoos. You know, and David's standing there, and he's heavily tattooed. He's like, yeah, bro, I I get that, you know. And we ended up talking to this kid. Ended up never seeing him again, but giving that guy the gospel. And, you know, it was just fun. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, as I look at your journey and thinking about your journey um how god kind of providentially put you on in all these situations in a way it's like it was like your seminary you know because who who gets that kind of exposure to that kind of ministry and uh people really and i think uh that's what people do see um you know in your commitment to uh the people of the church yeah i would get like you know you guys came to me you want to teach Bible studies? Well, I'll agree to it if you guys are going to train me, you know. Like, the Bible studies that we did at CASA were very 101 level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was nothing deep there. It was really just, you know, basic gospel things. Or when we went through the a, a text or a, a book in the Bible, you know, it was a little more, maybe a little bit deeper than like a study Bible level, but just so people could understand, you, you could lose them. And then there's language barriers, educational barriers, all kinds of things, maybe just where they were at in life. Um, so, yeah, sometimes, it, you know, like, I'm going to teach, mm-hmm. you know, like me. And you get stuck on that thing like, you know, I'm sure everybody sits there like, oh, I got to know my Bible better. You know, oh, they said this and I, I, I didn't realize that. And, and like, I'm not, I'm never going to be that guy. You guys went to seminary, right? You got trained in it. Just like I was an apprentice and then I worked for some great chefs and really learned the craft. And you're not going to get that by watching YouTube videos and, you know, then going to practice and cook in your kitchen or taking culinary classes like you're just not uh you got to be entrenched for for a while you know it's going to stink that apprenticeship was not fun it was good but you got abused you know uh i got treated poorly as the the nicest thing that a chef ever said to me was apprentices should be seen not heard because that was gentle at least he didn't throw something or (laughs) you know there were no curse words involved in that or demeaning you you know um but but you guys went there and, you know, some of the stories that you guys like pulling all nighters to get the reading done and, you know, all the the workload and, and all that, like, you know, could you do that now? Could you do it at 50 years old, right? Like, like I, you can't be an apprentice at 50. Hmm. You know, you, you just, you don't, you know, you get older. It's a young man's game. So, so I, I get it. The beautiful thing is like in the roles part is that, you know, if I need it, I got two guys that have been there. You know, I got Chris, now Ramil, who's been an elder for a while and learned, right? Because I feel like, like he said in the beginning, like, 
okay, what do I do now? I'm an mm-hmm. elder, like, you know? But I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade working in the streets with the vast different groups of people that I did, you know, from just addict, you know, name it, I won't name all, all the garbage, to wonderful families. Mm. I wouldn't trade that and say, Mm-hmm. seminary and you got a seminary degree right you got a master's divinity i wouldn't mm-hmm. i would well they don't teach that in seminary so yeah <laughs> so you got a you had you had a valuable <laughs> education whether you know it or not so um, you you learn how to love people mm-hmm. you learn how to serve people you know i don't even know where i got that from because i basically you know okay you're the outreach guy that's what it started as. Okay, what does that mean? That means we're going to do a barbecue because a church partner wants to come down and get their shoes dirty in the neighborhood and say, oh, look, we serve the ugly neighborhood, you know? Okay, so we'll do that because they were donors, right? Yeah. What does that mean? So I, I kind of got to make that. Yeah. How, how did getting plugged in at the church um, correlate with your ministry on the streets? Because you, you were, you, you, I think that's one of the things that you, did well, you plugged in, got involved. Yeah, that goes back. I, uh, I don't know if that was the first podcast or, or this one, but that hospitality background mm-hmm. of service, right, is there. And, and of course, not meaning fork goes on the left, but, but there was a, a thing of service and taking care of the customer, right, and, mm-hmm. and care and follow through and follow up and, and all these things. So it was kind of like, Part that it was kind of just really growing. Um, it, it was part now at Cornerstone, and kind of seeing it and being like, "Wow, this is much different in a good way." Um, that people, ha- I remember, I don't know, one of you guys was like, "Hey, why don't you come to this?" I remember a specific thing. Why don't you come to the Tuesday morning men's Bible study? Tuesday morning is my day to sleep in. Because you know, at, at Casa, every other week I work six days. On Saturday we do outreach in the neighborhood. It's a lot of hours. A lot of times I get there at, most days I get there at 7 because I wanted to catch the kids when they got on the bus before school. I wanted to be there when they got off after school because we walk them over to the thing, to the children's center for their tutoring. All in between, we had food pantry. Like like I had every excuse in the world. And I, I, I remember that like it's almost like you see the words come out of your mouth and you wish that you could have grabbed them and put them back. And I said, you know what, Tuesday morning's my time to sleep, and I just really need, to, like, it's my one day to get rest, you know? Mm-hmm. And I went home that night, and I was like, man, I wish I could take those words back. So the next Tuesday, whatever, maybe it was the next day, maybe it was the next week or whatever, I'm at men's Bible study, you know? But it, it took that thing of, like, hey, like, why don't you come? I remember, like, uh, you know, I was a little confused with COVID, like, well, where do we go? Groups are getting together, and Jason's like, you can come to our house. Okay, cool. But I wasn't like, hey, could I come to your house? Like, yeah. I, you know, so in, in the beginning, there was some prodding, definitely. But it was, you know, keep in mind, it was also very new because mm-hmm. this just didn't happen. At, you know, or other place where I probably would have just gone online. And it was funny because one of the old church partners said that you know, 30% of their congregation since COVID was still online. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just different in a good way. Now you now you have some kids in your house. 
Oh, I forgot about that. You realize the uh, <laughs> you realize the brilliance of your dad. Dad, why do we have to uh, sweep? Why do we have to snowplow the the neighbor's yard? He's like, because I want you out of the house, boys. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, see, you know that. Yeah. Do, um, some, do something. Just don't be in here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's ex- yeah. But that I mean, you probably didn't realize. Uh, I mean, I think probably everybody can look back and go, oh, wow, God, I didn't realize how you took what I learned from this and, like, ended up using it to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone can say that no matter what background they have, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, if you don't view that as a learning opportunity that you had, and you can take that and grow from it, you're missing valuable information. Yeah. 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 Um, Did you want to uh, elaborate on the kids here? Is that a new chapter? Chapter? Well, I I mean, it doesn't have to be because it's kind of unique and uh, there's, there's actually probably some things you can and can't say. And that's. Yeah. And we we could talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I I do think, you know, just a couple kind of like, uh, things that you said too that were interesting um one you know is interesting you know your upbringing your dad definitely taught you right that hey when all else fails just go do something Mm. um and even what you pointed out with the chef like um because i find it interesting that in the coffee industry some of the, the the greatest what people say are the greatest coffee tasters are like smokers yeah. And their taste buds aren't, you know, you sit there and you realize, man, like they smoke a pack of cigarettes a day and that's, that's pretty harsh on your system. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there's just kind of, like you said, they have some talent, some God given talent yeah. that other people don't have. But I, I kind of wonder in this environment, like, I think a lot of people are like, Hey, what's that one? Like th- there is this pressure in this culture. Take your one talent and find that, and then you go be the best at that one talent. And what what probably is the case for all of us that flies in the face of all of us is there's this almost like, no, just go work. Just go do something and mm-hmm. see what God does with it. Like, yeah. like you just have to, like that's where that Drew Dix book is so good. Just start doing something. Like don't go to a new church and expect to be like, you know, the central main like, God's like right hand man to the church. Like just show up and start doing things. Yeah. That's what your story is. That's what Chris's story is too. Just show up and start befriending people. Hey, what needs to be done? That's what you did a good job of. Like, Hey, what needs to be done? Like you weren't, I don't think anywhere along the way people are like, man, Thomas is like, if you don't give him accolades, he really like gets mad. You know, yeah. nobody's ever said that. So, good. yeah. So there's a couple of things I noted from here. Yeah. That I think are, instrumental helpful there yeah yeah so and then now at 55 54 54 sir whatever your beard says otherwise (laughs) the kids call me old (laughs) like stop acting so old i'm like i'm not that old well you're if you're falling asleep on the chair at 6 30 or 7 30 and then like i'm watching that yeah then it's like yep I, i had that moment once yeah but uh yeah, so you and Kelly decided to have five kids at once. What did we do? Didn't you guys decide to have five kids at once? You're like, hey, look, let's, let's not just one, 
Now, now the people that have two kids, they don't know how easy this is. It takes it takes sanctified and godliness to have three or more kids. By the way, if if you don't know me, there's a lot of tongue in cheek there, and that that's not meant. That's like meant to be a joke. That's not meant to be serious. If you don't have any kids, there's no. I don't. I actually don't care how many kids you have. So, yeah. So October second. Um, yeah, five kids. Now two just had a birthday a couple of weeks ago. One's having a birthday Sunday. So a, a six to sixteen. Um, all siblings. I think most of you have have met them at the church. Knew them from the neighborhood. You know, ministered to them for five six years. I remember the first day that I saw them in the neighborhood, and the kids were. It's the apartment with the stairs on the outside to go up to the top level, and it's like wrought iron fence on this one, and they were playing in there, and it was like, because I I, was, I, mean, I just spent my days in the neighborhood doing just, you know, I just walked through the alleys, whatever, just in trying to intentionally collide with people, right, is what the, uh, the, the old business term was, collisions, right? Um, you know, and I see these kids playing I've never seen before. Hey, kids, what are you doing? Oh, we're playing. You know, when did he get in? Saturday night. Where's mom? Upstairs. All right. Can I go say hi to her? Yeah, we'll bring you up. You know, and that was these kids, and that kind of started it. And so, um, yeah, so some circumstances, and, and, you know, they're in a bad position, and, and, we had known for a while, there, there's about four families, five families that I still stay in touch with. If anything happened with any of them and they said, could you help us out, we would help them out in a, in a second. Uh, and, and this one came up. So we looked at each other and we're like, you know, well, it's just kind of nuts. Like, let's think through it. Um, we met down downtown, um, you know, and they kind of laid out everything in front of us. And we said, okay, we'll give you a call Monday. And, you know, it's one of those things like, like, yeah, this is nuts. This is crazy. Like, we're, we're learning on the fly. Um, you know, we didn't raise these guys from infant to now, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot of stuff there. It's been challenging at times. It's great at times, right? I'm sure just like anybody else. Because the more and more I like talk to people, oh, yeah, my kids do that too. Oh, yeah, well, at least those kids do this. Mine do that, right? And you realize like, you, like you're in the same boat as, as all the parents. It's just, you know, we with the 16-year-old, we don't have, you know, 15 and two weeks history behind us, mm-hmm. 15 years and two weeks. You know, with, with the six-year-old, we don't have... Now, I was there a lot and through a lot of stuff that was going on, you know, and just there were kids that came down the casa and we helped the family and all kinds of things, right? Did all kinds of ministering with them. So, like, I knew them but didn't know everything. Um, yeah, so here they are. You know, you, you hope you go through a day without a major breakdown from one of them because that throws everything off. Mm-hmm. A lot of challenges. Um a new, a new, uh, a new level of sanctification yet, or have you? Uh... <laughs> yeah, you know, but it, it's funny. Like, like there's that that saying, like you know, you 
want to see if somebody's a real Christian, Christian, just turn up the heat on them, you know, and you'll see if they're a real Christian. You know, the, these things come come at you pretty fast, you know, um, with anybody's kids. But knowing the way to respond or, you know, what's the best wisdom here? I wouldn't say it's a challenge for us because... We read the same Bible you guys read, but you just had a little more experience as a parent than us, right? Mm-hmm. So a little bit challenging in that. You know, you could see how easy it is for me to want to lay down rules, right? And there have to be some, right? There's got to be guardrails up. But how easy it could be to just be legalistic and think that's going to solve everything. You know, and, and it won't. We don't know how long we're going to have these guys. You know, my, my hope, and it's like, Lord, please, I pray, you know, let this be the case that they walk away saying, you know, Thomas and Kelly were godly. You know, we understood what work looks like. They, they didn't understand this. You know, is Kelly home? No, she's got to work late tonight. You know, oh, like, you know, one day we're at dinner, we're like, this is what work looks like. You know, it's mm-hmm. busy days, and we come home, and, we eat and we get what we need to get done in the house and we'll relax for a little bit, go to bed and do it again tomorrow, you know? Um, so, so, you know, I hope that they walk away seeing those things and it's an influence on them. I'm sure it'll be an influence if not tomorrow, maybe 10 years, maybe 30 years down the road. You you just, you don't know, right? So, yeah, there is, you know, I think Kelly said that she's down 10 pounds. I'm probably down about 10 pounds. <laughs> I came home and I'm up 10 pounds. What are, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, when the... Uh, CrossFit parenting? Yeah. <laughs> oh, trust me. None, none of that going on right now. Um, so, yeah, it's been, you know, we, we, we both have full-time jobs. we got full-time kids. My dad hasn't been doing good, so that's been another thing kind of on top of it, so... You know, the, the good news is that Christ is still on the throne. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I still got my church family that we lean on. Everybody's been so supportive, willing to help, encouraging, you know. And, and I was like, this is like the first time I'm on this side of it mm-hmm. in my life. And just seeing the how many people even just get a random text from somebody that maybe we only talk on Sunday, you know, like we haven't. Maybe we've gone out and had a cup of coffee, but not somebody that I'm regularly hanging out with at the church. Just, hey, thought about you, and me and my wife are praying for you guys. You know, I'm praying for those kids. Mm. And it's amazing what a little thing like that could do to just kind of stop you and go like, yeah, you know what? Like sometimes I get caught in the me, in the raising them. and You know, last night some we had some challenges that we were working through. And even this morning, you know, as we're getting the kids up for school and the first one is up at four thirty, So that one leaves and we got about 45 minutes an hour before the next group gets up. So that's usually our, it's either our work time or we talk, but we had to talk this morning because we have to deal with it today. And I was driving down and Jason said, come on early today. And so for me, that means two hours early. Uh, so I just kind of drove around the neighborhood, and and I was thinking, and I was like, man, how 
how quick it is for me to get lost in my, like, I have to figure this out rather than like, Lord, I, I need your strength and I need patience and I need wisdom. And, and, you know, today, let me talk to you guys, or we're having some lunch with some other people today and, and rely on him. Each time I've trusted him, things have gone right. Mm-hmm. Each time I've trusted myself, I've usually goofed it up a little bit. And you get to these things, and it's like, wow, man, I've been centering on me and me trying to find it out or, or figure it out. Or, man, I got to ask the Lord. Like, like Lord, I need you, you know? Or the, the, the biggest thing, because our, our time has just been eaten up, completely eaten up. Um, you know, the, the big thing is, is just kind of missing the regular people that I would hang out with mm-hmm. that we could just talk. Right. Um, so I, 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 that's the biggest thing I miss mm-hmm. is just hanging out with other family members. Yeah. And just talking about stuff where they have something that we talk through or we yeah. talk through so or you're, there's you're, nothing and yeah. we just talking and hanging out, you know, you're talking about just the, the, the amount of time for logistics for five plus you guys is and Crazy. work, yeah. You know, Kelly's yeah. traveling in January, yeah. so I got four days solo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tuesdays taking up by some of the things that have to get done. Wednesdays taken up because it's visitation day. You know, Saturday two are going to the dentist. You know, Monday because they're out of school, and next week you got to see what the Kelly, Kelly actually took next week off because so much just has to get done. You know, and, and a lot of that is the state says it has to get done. That's the funny. The state's very good at dictating your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we have them <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, all, all in all, you know, okay, Lord. You know, we, we prayed on it hard, and that was kind of another thing that we knew. Hey, if one of these four or five families gets in trouble, that we would do it. And it came, so it really wasn't much of a decision because we had already made it. Mm-hmm. It was more going through the process, and when we sat down and talked to the state, and they kind of laid everything out, so we knew what the the plan looked like. So, yeah, here it is, Lord. I mean, yeah, these guys from that day I could remember like yesterday that I first saw them to. You know, leaving the neighborhood, coming on board now, like this back, like, okay, part of the plan. And, you know, there's got to be a thought in my head. There are thoughts in my head, like, okay, what's the Lord flushing out of my heart, right? Because you pray that prayer, like, hey, Lord, if there's any idolatry in my heart, any legalism in my heart, you know, like, like, please, I want to get this flushed out. And sometimes, like, those prayers, right? That's not a, hey, okay, Thomas, let me just, you know, sometimes that's painful, um, so part of, okay, well, what's the Lord teaching us here? Mm. You know, when am I learning? How am I going to be godly to them? You know, we got a, a challenge with two tonight. That's going to be tough and I'll guarantee you there's going to be a couple of meltdowns, you know, and okay, Lord, how do, how do we do this in a biblical way? Yeah. That showing love and the correction, right? Not being angry about it. Right, being loving, being gentle, but at the same time being firm. Yeah, 
What, what are the Showing ages? Showing them what truth is. The ages of the kids? Uh, six, nine, 11. The 13 is going to be 14 on Sunday mm-hmm. and 16. Yeah. See, you're, you're already doing teenage parenting before I. Well, <laughs> before and you got the teenage problems. <laughs> yeah. And then the six year old comes up, yep. you know, and, and it's like totally different, right? Yeah. No, it's great. I, I, you know, for a brand new parent, I mean, I could even sit here and learn from your parenting. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say that. Like, you know, because there, there are, unfortunately, the the not as developed thinking from some is, I can't learn anything from someone who doesn't have kids. You could have learned a lot if you just listened because you realize that's actually, like, very wise counsel is to be prepared to in your head kind of like low no matter what with your kids lower your expectations and realize you might have a blowout you might have right because how many how many problems are developed with oh we're going to go to this thing and all my kids are going to be perfect and then you get there and one of your kids isn't and you're you know it kind of disrupts you because in your head it was all going to be like oh we're all going to be in yellowstone with smiley happy faces driving (laughs) around and one of my kids is not going to be a beast you know and then when they are you're like oh yeah because they're still sinful kids and they're in their car and you know, everybody has desires. So I'll say you could have learned a lot from that because you've got to have expectations. And part of that is realizing you might, you know, realizing the potential problems you're going to face that night and having a game plan. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have more questions for Thomas, um, if you didn't, you know, I said a couple times from the pulpit, should have made him come over for dinner. If you didn't take advantage of that, well, I don't know what to tell you. So you should have done it. But if you didn't, that's fine. And, uh, you know, uh, there's more opportunity down the road. So the nice part about all the elders in Cornerstone is the cultural expectation among all of us is that you will be open and transparent mm-hmm. and willing to have any conversation. Um regardless of how tough or easy it is. And so that expectation doesn't leave. And so it's there. Um, all right. So uh, December 24th, we'll plan on laying hands on Thomas. So uh, Christmas Eve. Yay. Yay. So, But you know what we call Christmas Eve? Sunday. So Sunday is corporate worship day. So every every Sunday, that, that's how it goes. So. All right. Well, um, yeah, if you have questions, comments, cries of outrage, uh, feel free to reach out. And uh, again, thanks for your time, Thomas. Thanks for uh, putting that online. Uh, there's a lot here to learn. So, um, yeah, but more to be said and and uh, flush it out more down the time as we go. So, all right. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, guys. <laughs>